You're listening to The Uncommon Podcast, where we celebrate the stories of men and women who are living uncommon lives. These individuals pursue excellence and purpose in their relationships and work. They optimize their health and stewardship, and they embody victorious vision and fervent faith. Be inspired and encouraged to follow your own uncommon path and live a life of authenticity, accountability, and adventure. Welcome to The Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and I am pleased to be joined in studio with my uncommon guest, John Otley. John is an awesome man of God. He's an elder at my church, a husband of 44 years to his wife, Kathleen, father, grandfather, former pastor, currently serving as a chaplain at Vermeer Corp. And there are many more interesting things about him that I'm just excited to uncover over the course of our conversation. John's someone that I've admired and respected from a distance for some time now, and it's just been cool, a privilege to start getting to know him more as of late. So with that, John, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. It's yeah. good to be here. Yeah, yeah. it's good, good to have you. Good to, good to see your face and talk to you live. For sure, for sure. Yeah. In person, no less. Yes. <laughs> so I think bios are great, but I would like to know, what is one uncommon thing about John that most people probably don't know? Wow. One uncommon thing. I have been on a 19,000-foot volcanic peak in Ecuador. Okay. Not many people know that. No. Yeah. What was that for? So my son worked for an organization in California called Summit Adventure, and they had a course. They, they did these courses, and this one was called Missions and Mountaineering. I think it was in the mid-2000s, maybe 2007. Um, so I flew to Quito, and we did a service project with a pastor on the south side of Quito. And twice during, and that was at 9,000 feet, Quito, Ecuador, 9,000 feet. Um, Twice during the week, we had these kind of shake. Well, one, we had the shakedown hike, 15,000 foot. There's some peaks overlooking Quito. This one was called Ruku Pachincha. Hmm. We uh, didn't climb the other one because there's a, uh, like a, what do you call it? ski lift that went to the top but there was some guy up there like with a knife robbing people oh, wow. that would have been an so adventure they were like yeah we're not going up there so we went to the That'd other be a one. shakedown yeah it would have yeah so we went to the other one climbed that fifteen thousand foot uh and i had climbed a bunch of 14ers yeah. in colorado uh but the big mountain was this uh kayambe volcan kayambe we slept in a hut okay. stone big stone house at 15,000 feet and then from there we did our summit attempt and we actually made it to the top 19,000 feet wow it was hard that was incredible yeah so it sounds like a bit of a service aspect yeah and then also some adventure yeah we were helping this uh pastor uh building basically expanding like they would go down there every year so they were in a multi-year project uh, finishing a school okay. for kids on the south side of Quito. Nice. And yeah. how many people did the hikes with you guys? Well, let's see. I I don't really remember. I'm going to say maybe 12 to 15 people. Okay. We were on three-man rope teams. All right. 
Um, and I, <laughs> I was the weak link being the old guy, which is increasingly common for me, not uncommon, but common. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, uh, I was literally behind the guide and then somebody else was behind me. Uh, and so he kind of hauled my rear end gotcha. up that mountain. Uh, so he was watching, watching after me pretty closely yeah. at, at the top of the mountain. Commonly, there's a glacier at the top there. It was all gl- snowy, glaciated. We had crampons, ice axes, oh, wow. the whole nine yards. And yeah, there was a little repelling at the Bergschrund. It's called German word for closet where the ice pulls away from the mountain. So we got to the top, repelled down about 15 feet and then went around and did the like hike up to the summit cap about 150 feet of elevation and at that altitude i'm not kidding when i say i'd take a step i'd take about three breaths and then take another step it was slow going 19,000 feet air is very thin but we made it to the top that's awesome yeah that is an uncommon story and experience for sure i feel like we could do a whole podcast just on that that. would be fun that would be (laughs) we have a lot of adventures yeah my son's a professional mountaineer oh very he's climbed el cap at least four times so because of his expertise i've climbed a lot of stuff that i would never do on my own yeah that's awesome. We've had a lot of fun. Any any free climbs in the? <laughs> no free solos. <laughs> yeah. One big one in Yosemite Valley was we did climb up the west side of Half Dome, which was roped about two thirds of the way up, and then you unrope and you're just walking up these big slabs to the top, and then we went down the cable route. Wow, and that was a wonderful day. Yeah, it was just he he and I. Did this approach that nobody else takes, and just me and him out in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and we, it was a big day. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Had some good father-son bonding. Big right time. <laughs> We've had a couple of trips like that. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Well, yeah, I've never done any climbs like that, so sometime in the future, I got I to gotta get... He Get could going. he could hook us up. Nice. They, they moved to Denver. They live in Golden now. Oh, very cool. And they could probably help with that happen. All right, I might yeah. have to might have to take you up on that. It's, it's fun. Yeah, really fun. Nice, nice. So you know, one one thing mentioned in just the intro was you being a man of God, being a former pastor, obviously elder mm-hmm. at at our church, and I think personal testimonies are probably the most powerful way to really share mm-hmm. one story and give people a clear picture of who they are as a person. And so I'd love to give you even just the opportunity to share your brief testimony. Sure. Well, you know, man of God doesn't sit so comfortably with me, but at the same time, I'm definitely a recipient of the grace of God. So in the eyes of God, because of my faith in his son, Jesus, I am a saint, but so are you and every other believer in Christ. Um, I'm a broken guy who has experienced a lot of grace in my life and I have definitely been following him for a long time and he's certainly changed my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up in Georgia. You might hear a bit of a Southern accent. Some of my earliest memories are my mother and father uh, singing in the choir at a major uh, denominational church uh, down in Georgia near Atlanta uh, as a child. So I grew up in a home with a mom and dad who went to church, sang in the choir, loved music, loved books, grew up in a house full of books. Uh, and in my parents' marriage, 
began to fray and erode and dissolved when I was about, I'm going to say about 10 or 11 years old. When the smoke cleared, and this is back in the mid-60s, um, I lived with my mom and saw my dad two weekends a month and two weeks in the summer. My mom left the mainline church and started going to an evangelical, gospel-centered, Christologically uh, robust, uh, non-denominational church plant. And they had they were connected with an association of churches that had all kinds of camps and kids' work and all that stuff. Um, and so after a week at a summer camp, came home, I'm, I'm 10 or 11, I was in my bed at home, falling asleep, and I had this crystal clear moment where I understood, like, like I knew the gospel, I knew that uh, the wages of sin was death and that the gift of God was eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, but I had this moment of clarity where I realized that I had never trusted in Jesus mm. as my Savior. Okay. And I, want, I, I did that at that time, 10 or 11. Uh, now, you know, I'm 67. I've been a Christian a long time, so my story is long, longer than we have. <laughs> so uh, I, I would say, you know, growing up in a broken home with a burdened, distracted mom, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. First two years of high school was pretty miserable as I began to get sick of my sin mm. and my hypocrisy and just, you know, secretive, sneaking around, hiding a lot of behavior. And so it was during that time that I transferred to a Christian high school. Uh, one time I was sitting in chapel on a, on a bunch of metal folding chairs on the basketball court at this Christian school, and this lanky preacher from Tennessee strutting back and forth across the stage in his message quoted Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, mm -hmm. by the mercy of God, to give your life as a living sacrifice. And when I heard that mercy of God, the Spirit of God, it was almost like he turned out all the lights in the gym, turned a big spotlight on, searched through the crowd, fixed on me, and this beam of Holy Spirit power using the Word of God about the Son of God melted my heart with his mercy because mm -hmm. I had all these experiences in my mind where he had shown me a lot of mercy where you know I could have gotten in a bunch of trouble in all kinds of ways and God had just been merciful mm -hmm. to me and I responded to that really deeply and so now like so that's like 15 16 years old I started praying two wimpy prayers <laughs> because I knew that I could not live the Christian life on my own I'd tried to live it on my own. I'd failed miserably, consistently at this pattern. And so I said, God, you got to help me. Mm -hmm. I cannot live this life for you on my own. You ha Please help me live for you. I want to give my life as a living sacrifice based on Romans 12, 1 and yeah. 2. So that was the first prayer. Help, God, mm -hmm. help me. I can't do it without you. Second prayer was this. Lord, give me a love for your word. I was in a church that taught the Bible, preached the Bible, sang songs based on Scripture. Uh, my mom was a reader, had a lot of books about the Bible in the home. But I started reading my Bible, and I asked God to give me a love for His Word. 
And I think God kind of liked hearing a prayer like that <laughs> yeah. from a 16-year-old kid. Nothing wimpy about that at all. And he, he, he did that by his grace, gave yeah. me a love for his word. So I started reading it. And I had a commentary on Romans, read Romans, didn't understand a whole lot of it. Mm. But that's a high-impact book. Yeah. And it helped me to appreciate what Christ had done for me and who I was in Christ. And so is on from there. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I'm curious, how did God, how did you see God answer that first prayer of just the help? Helping me. It sounded like yeah. you didn't have a lot of community in those first few years. Like what did it look like to get yeah. friends of the faith or even like male role models? I'm curious. Yeah. You know, I've, I've since even, even at our church, Ryan, that you and I go to, we have this marriage ministry. And in that marriage ministry, we talk a lot about the word of God and the spirit of God and the people of God. And I can look back, and it was pretty bleak, man. Pretty bleak. And I could tell stories about what I'm saying. But as even my wife and I, who did not know each other yet at the time, both had similar experiences, as we reminisce and share our story, we're aware that God was with us in the mess. Yeah. He was meeting us in the mess. Primarily through people that took an interest in me. There's an old guy at our church. He and his wife would pick me up on Sunday nights. We'd go to the church meeting that we had on Sunday nights. They'd bring me home. They'd take me to Dairy Queen, buy me one of those really good ice cream sandwiches that were oh, yeah. super hard. <laughs> uh, but that guy had a prayer that has stuck with me all of my life. And it, well, yeah, he prayed a lot, but this is the phrase that stuck with me. Lord, to know you is to love you. To love you is to obey you. To obey you is to serve you. Man, uh, that guy loved me enough to pick me up. I don't, I don't know. What, what was he thinking? Why would he do that? But he did. Messy kid took, you know, brought me to church, exposed me to phrases like that, yeah. to that kind of theology about Christ knowing him, loving him, obeying him, serving him, mm -hmm. to know you is to love you, to love you is to obey you, to obey you is to serve you. Mm -hmm. And and all that you can think about John 14:21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, yeah. blah blah blah. Um uh, so that would be just one tiny example. There was another younger guy in the church that took me and my girlfriend to homecoming and then took us out for pizza after the football game <laughs> when we're like 14. <laughs> you, you should see the picture of what we had on. Wait, he took you guys as like his date? Yeah, like he and I don't know if he was married or just had a girlfriend, but yes, he he after the homecoming, he took us out to pizza. Wow. And he was my youth leader. Oh, gotcha. Just yeah, he he was the youth leader at our church. And there were all these opportunities to serve we had some great preachers at our church, so I grew up with some fantastic Bible teaching and preaching. You know, God was just, and my mom, bless her heart, they say that in the South, <laughs> she went to a lot of trouble exposing me to Christian activity. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was primarily during summer camps, I met guys my age that were fun to be around, and they were solid Christians. I say solid. They were kind of inconsistent in some ways too, yeah. but you know, I just had lots of opportunities to be around people who love me and love Jesus and showed, showed me a lot of grace and mercy. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, I've heard it said, like, God had your number. He did. Like, <laughs> he did. Yeah. Yeah. And he loved me through a lot of people who gave me so much grace, man. It's yeah. amazing. You know, and I could go on and on how it's hard to love unruly <laughs> teenagers. And I was, man, I was right there. I yeah. was a hard kid. I can't picture it, but I'll take oh, your word boy. for it. I was asked not to come back to a couple of places. Oh, no way. I got in a lot of trouble. I was pretty bold <laughs> in, in my creativity and getting into trouble. Um, <laughs> Inventing new ways. Yeah, and just being undercover. And, you know, I, I could really go on and on there. Um, but it's a lot of times, you know, when you think about the kind of people that God wants to save and use, sometimes those are the kind of people. I mean, he uses everybody, yeah. all kinds. So a lot of experiences of grace Yeah, uh, as, a, as a young guy. Yeah, like a through line in that story, just like the word relationships as, yes. as you were talking. People and, investing in me. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and now looking back on your life, I know that you've paid that forward and invested in, in a lot of people and, one of our pillars, our uncommon pillars is radical relationships. And mm. so just talking through as men, who are we as, as biblical men of God? And that was actually um, a focal point of our men's retreat this past weekend. Mm. Um, but it, then how does that permeate into our marriages and who we are as husbands, as fathers, grandfathers, as friends, and just as leaders in the various roles that God has us play in? And you kind of alluded to uh, marriage a couple of times through that story. So I'd yeah. even love to to talk about marriage. Um, so you've been married 44 years, is yeah. correct? Yeah. I feel like there's a lot we can learn <laughs> from you. Good and bad. Yeah, what do to this, do, what don't not do to that. do. Don't do that, yes. <laughs> uh, but my first question is, why do you think that God brought Kathleen of all the women to you specifically to be your wife? Because he's good. <laughs> he is good. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Yeah. And he brought us together. And I'm telling you, man, so we met in college. We, we were at a, a Bible college. And we were such deep friends. Our relationship was different than than other relationships I had had with gals in like high school. Uh, it was much more comprehensively fulfilling. We talked we did a lot of fun stuff together. We just became very, very good friends. And I mean, I had lots of baggage that I was oblivious of, <laughs> and some I wasn't. And so it, it wasn't like all, you know, super smooth. But we really, and, and Tim Keller talks about this in his book, Meaning of Marriage, talks about spiritual friendship, mm. how important that is to, for two people who already have it going on with God, when they come together to have a sense of, man, we're, we're on the road serving God and we're doing it together Yeah, and we're better because of it. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it does. Yeah. I've heard the description of a man and a woman and they, they meet, but they're, or they're pursuing God. Yeah. And as they're doing that, you know, it kind of comes to that, that pinnacle where it's both of them in union with God. Yeah. Kind of sounds like what you're describing. We had a ton of baggage, a lot of blind spots, but we were pursuing God. Uh, I've learned other stuff about marriage, uh, even even recently. Um, you know, as we serve married couples at our church, um, one couple that's done a lot of research and a lot of writing about marriage 
just talks about even the fact that you keep coming back to to your spouse, mm-hmm. uh, maybe after you've had conflict or whatever. And man, that kind of I didn't always realize that, but in our younger decades of marriage, I had a chronic problem with anger, Mm. um, brought that into our marriage from, again, scars and trauma of growing up in a broken home and, you know, whatever. Um, But when I would blow it with Kathleen, I was in the word I knew it was wrong. I had a tender heart and I would come back with a repentant attitude. Now, you know, back then Kathleen could say, yeah, but you need to change. Mm. And that's, that's a blind spot that I had and a regret that I had have Ryan that, that I did not have guys in my life at that time who could speak truth to me in a safe, respectful, but, you know, straight up way. Mm-hmm. Now, later that did happen as a pastor. Friends in my life did rebuke me for saying harsh things and all that. So it, it just, <laughs> I, I wish it had happened a lot sooner. Sure, sure. Uh, so. <laughs> all in God's timing, though. I guess. <laughs> no, it was even as you were talking, and you, you more or less said this, but the difference between saying sorry and actual repentance. Because yeah, I think as, okay. as men, a lot of times we maybe we'll just say sorry because we don't want the conflict or the fight. And it's kind of our way of sweeping it under the rug. It's like, I'm sorry, I messed up. Yeah. But then that's not followed by a change of, of action. And, you know, like she said, yeah. you, you need to change. And like, that's what repentance looks like is the confession and the, the heartfelt apology, but then the turning away. Right. I mean, I, I had some very significant issues that God has done big work in my life. E- even I would say in the last, you know, two decades, decade and a half, I'm, I'm still growing. I'm yeah. still a work of grace. Um, and I was not aware of how deeply and profoundly I needed Christ, but I was to your point, I think genuinely repentant, mm-hmm. you know, like, either one husband or wife can give a, a quick apology. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, like let's, let's move on. Yeah, let's drop it. <laughs> Almost like to defer. Yeah. yeah. And that's not necessarily helpful. Yeah. And you mentioned Tim Keller and I think it was him maybe in that same book. Does he say like marriage isn't about your happiness it's about your holiness or maybe well, that's John Piper. I don't know, else. but that's a true statement <laughs> that a lot of people, I think that that's very good. Yeah. That's another thing that i realized as a single guy when I get married like I knew enough about Christianity that I needed here's what I thought when I get married it's going to get me out of myself because I'm going to have to pay attention to another person I knew I was selfish knew I was (laughs) self-centered I just didn't appreciate how profoundly selfish and self-centered I was Uh, so but yeah, I, I think I was aware, you know, that when you get married, you, you got to think about this other person. Yeah. And same with having kids, you know, yes, it, getting married is going to get you out of yourself or at least confront you with your selfishness. Yeah. But then having children, as you're right in the middle of yeah. that, too, is, you know, your life now is about others, not yeah. just yourself. 
Yeah, it amplifies it even more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is good if, yeah. if we respond if we respond in kind. Right. Um, on that topic, like I would love to to know like how has Kathleen and just your marriage helped you grow into more of a godly man? Well, certainly confronting me with my need for growth, mm-hmm. you know, and and I'm going to make a real significant statement right here. Um, and I, I haven't done the math, but I was in my early 50s. Um, and one time Kathleen gave kind of a snippy reaction to something I said. And I remember having a big reaction to her kind of snippy comment. Mm-hmm. But then, like a freight train, I had this epiphany of grace, of God's grace. And I remember thinking, man alive, if, if I'm having such a big reaction to that, what must it be like for her to live with me hmm. with my you know, angry tone of voice, my harshness and all that stuff? So that was a, like a giant freight train of conviction that really put me on a trajectory to say, God, again, <laughs> like I had learned, I really had learned that. You got to help me. I can't do this on my own, but I need your help to, you know, I need your grace to have more Mm self-control and less unrestrained anger. Uh, So that was a big deal. Yeah. Praise God for his Holy Spirit. Yeah. Who's so faithful to convict us in those ways. Yes. We've both come (laughs) a long, long way, man. And this, this marriage ministry that we do at church you know, we've been through it, I don't know, three or four times now. We, we've learned a lot of stuff. It's really good. Yeah. And it's really about the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, more I could say. Yeah. No, we'll talk about that in more detail because Victoria and I both went through that class and it was a huge blessing to us. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to know how many, so how many kids and grandkids do you guys currently have? Four children, okay. eight grandchildren. All right. Yes. Pass the I, quiz. I stick my fingers out. <laughs> And I say we have a son and three daughters. Okay. And so son lives in Denver. Two daughters live here in Des Moines. And youngest daughter lives in Mount Vernon, north of Iowa City. Son in uh, Golden, Colorado has two kids. They're the number six and seven of eight. And then one daughter here has three boys. The other daughter here has three girls. So eight grandkids altogether. Very fun. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. What is like one thing that you would say you're celebrating or grateful for as a father and one thing that you're celebrating as a grandfather? As a dad, our relationship, again, because we're old and our kids are now adults with their own kids, we are celebrating our friendship and openness with our adult kids. Mm. Uh, you know, being a parent, I find myself... You know, because my friends have adult friends and those relationships get really tricky sometimes. Kids or parents cut off from each other. Stress comes, things happen, and the relationships get really wrapped around the axle really tightly and, you know, stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And so we've been aware of that. And so we are, I would say, and my wife... Kathleen says we're we're in their lives, not in their business. Mm, that's good. <laughs> we accept them, we love them, uh, and they like coming over. That's a blessing. <laughs> we have good conversations yeah. <laughs> when they come, yeah. and so we we celebrate that. Yeah, 
so you're doing the opposite of the Ray Ram- the everybody loves Raymond approach where the grandparents are just <laughs> barging over all the time. Yeah, no, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, kidding. we don't do that. Uh, um, and then as as uh, grandparents, my wife probably more than me, uh, she serves them so well and so practically hmm. uh, in in all kinds of ways. So. I, when I left my house to come over here, one of our daughters is over there. Yep. You know, she came over for dinner, and uh, typically on a Thursday night, she and her boys uh, come over for dinner. Yeah. You know, every Thursday night, and we've been doing that for a pretty long time now. Wow, that's yeah. that's truly special. So there's always opportunities to serve your kids and your grandkids. Yeah, and certainly we pray for them very frequently. Yeah, and they know us. We're in their lives. We're part of their story. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Um, switching up and even talking about just Christian relationships and friendship. So I mentioned we just had the first Cottage Grove men's retreat and you were out of town, so you weren't able to be there. But the reason I bring up the retreat is because I just wanted to talk through the importance of prioritizing friendship as a man, because yeah. I think it can be difficult to have friends as a man. And it's, I think it's often like parodied in like movies and TV that, it's just awkward or the relationships, maybe they're based around similar interests, but they're very like shallow and there's no real emotional connection. But what I got to observe at the the retreat this past weekend was a group of men of like different life stages, Mm. various responsibilities and commitments, but choosing to set aside distractions and those responsibilities and coming together with like the mutual desire to build friendships in the mutual pursuit of, of Christ, a closer walk with him. And so I think it's a rare thing in the life of like a common man. I guess that's why we say we're uncommon, but I would love to know, like, what does your community look like as far as even like you and Kathleen spending time with friends and then you, um, you know, pursuing friendships with other men, maybe mentorship, discipleship. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, for me, we're, we're in a small group. Uh, we meet on Tuesday nights and, Everybody in that group, except for Kathleen and I, are—I think I'm—I think it's right to say they're younger than my youngest kid, <laughs> and then we're we're the old couple in there. Um, but we're—I so I think we're maybe kind of like ballast in terms of, you know, we're we're just there. We're we're just steady and we've been in the church and we've been following Christ and we've been married for a long time. Um, and so I think they value our perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, I work an hour from home. So I'm in my car two hours a day. A lot of times on my way home, you know, I have phone conversations with guys. Mm-hmm. Guys got something on his mind. I'm like, hey, uh, give me a call. Let's have a phone conversation, and we'll we'll talk on the way home. I've had a lot of those. Other than that, uh, we also we we get in a groove and 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 we get out of the groove. We're currently out of the groove, but when we're in it, we have people over typically on Sunday okay. after church, and man. It's, it's amazing, Ryan, and I'm more of an ambivert. Kathleen is an extrovert. I say she's got no off switch when it comes to being with people. Oh, okay. Um, but we'll have people over like a young couple 
for three hours. Oh, wow. Sometimes four. And you're like, wow, that didn't seem like that. <laughs> um, so when I began realizing, and I, I don't know, this was probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago that I was getting older. Guys like you were growing up, getting married. Me and some friends just started hanging out with guys. Yeah. Coffee, lunch, whatever. That was a little scary. Um, <laughs> But then, you know, they'd say stuff and tell stories and ask questions and stuff would just come to mind. Yeah. So I've realized that, you know, guys just need that life on life time together. Yeah. So we've had couples come over and talk to us as couples. I've had guys come over. I, I like taking a walk okay. uh, with a guy on a Saturday morning. I've done that. So phone conversations, taking a walk with guys. I'm, I just, I, I use the word available a lot. I'm available. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So Yeah. I'll have to take you up on one of those Saturday morning yeah, walks man. since we're practically neighbors. Yeah, or even bike ride maybe. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. Yeah. So you kind of, you touched on just the work that you've done. I would love to hear or give listeners a chance to learn more about that. Even just like your time as a pastor and then now as a, as a chaplain. Um. Uh, 35 years serving local churches. Uh, that was an early sense of calling. The local church is where it's at. And that's God loves his church, calls it his bride. And so um, I, I have two like core gifts or passions, communicating God's word, caring for God's people. So that's kind of a recipe for pastoral sure. ministry. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good combination. And I, I think... Uh, just knowing how significant the church is. So I, I just look for opportunities to do that, and there are plenty around. Mm -hmm. So 35 years serving in primarily smaller churches as often solo pastor or, um, you know, older pastor with maybe a youth guy or something like that. Okay, gotcha. And then, let's see, six years ago, I stepped out of local church ministry into... First of all, hospital chaplaincy, and now I'll call it marketplace or corporate chaplaincy. Yeah. Is that answering your question? Yeah, it does. Okay. And even in our previous conversation, so you're at Vermeer now. Yeah. Serving about, was it 800 yes, people? that's right. And kind of responding to emergencies, checking in on employees. Yeah. I think you described it as like psychosocial issues. Yes. Like not therapist, but therapeutic. Yes, can you kind of flesh out like what that looks like on a day-to-day -day and the type of interactions that you're having? One thing that's cool about the job is, first of all, I'm very experienced. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been serving people for, you know, 40 years, uh, literally, since, you know, I graduated from seminary in 1982. Yeah. So in 2022, that was 40 years. So. I used to say I'd seen everything twice, <laughs> twice. but since wor working at Vermeer in the last five years, I don't say that anymore because <laughs> I have seen some stuff that I've never seen before. Yeah. But the cool part about that is I'm not certain. That's not the local church. Hmm. Those are people outside the church. And so, you know, local church ministry is people kind of coming into church world. But what we do is kind of like, incarnational in the sense that we're going out into their world yeah every week is different 
every day is different. Like I, I recognize when I, so my office is in this one building. I walk across a couple of parking lots into the building. It's gigantic. It feels like an airport. That's where there's about, you know, I'm going to say about 700 people in this building. And I mean, I kind of know where I'm going based on where I've already been. So I try to, you know, expose myself to all the people in there, but I never know necessarily who I'm going to see. And it's amazing what comes up. So all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a recent conversation with a guy who got on an airplane to go on a business trip and he kind of had a panic attack and he got off the plane and told his manager manager let him go home so we had a conversation about what was going on there and kind of probed a little bit into the fact that his brother has died and uh all kinds of feelings about lots of stuff people living with depression people living with anxiety people experiencing relational breakdowns Mm -hmm. all kinds of all kinds of stuff yeah it makes me think of the quote like be kind for everyone you meet is facing a great battle is that like plato or aristotle nobody really knows who said that (laughs) okay uh i love that quote though yeah i'm 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 happy that you be kind for everyone you know is facing a great battle something like that yes it sounds like you're seeing that and it's like we go about our day-to-day people are most people are just unassuming i think we just have no idea like what their battle is absolutely Um, I'm constantly reminded. I mean, people tell me these stories. A couple of things. Number one, I will say, man, thank you so much for telling me this. I do believe everybody's got something. And I can see the wheels turning. And sometimes when people decide to tell me their thing, it's like they gave me gold. Wow. Like, and I'll say that to them. I, you've just given me gold. This is your life we're talking yeah. about. You don't talk to everybody about that. Thank you so much for trusting me with that. Um, and it, it is quite a privilege to yeah. listen to people tell their, you know, their biggest, most important stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very gratifying to listen to that and mostly just listen to it. And let them kind of figure out what what they need to do. Sometimes I ask some questions about that. But uh, just being there, just showing up, caring, showing them respect, not judging them, just creating space for them to be be who they are, tell their story, and then they know I know. And so, you know, it, it creates doors of opportunity yeah there's rapport and trust there so in your role are you encouraged to like open up god's word with them or like pray with them like how much freedom do you have to really share faith so there's different uh philosophies of chaplaincy there's different purposes of chaplaincy i would say that we are not evangelists and missionaries that's not our that that's not our agenda Our agenda is to meet people where they are and listen to what they want to talk about and respond to that. Having said that, many, many times, I've been there for now five years, Mm -hmm. and I was at Methodist Hospital for a year before that. Uh, I've had many opportunities to talk about coping. How do we cope with stuff? How have I coped with stuff in my life? 
have you tapped into any kind of spiritual community? Do you have a church or a faith community? Is that, could that be part of how you cope with your stuff? And man, there, there are times where people, when they want to go there, um, I've had some precious conversations. I had a conversation with a young guy uh, not far from here uh, who did not identify as a Christian, mm-hmm. but he believed in Christianity, but he had kind of a box-checking mentality. I'm not a Christian because I do this bad thing, this oh. bad thing, this bad thing, and I don't do this good thing and this good so thing. He's like disqualifying himself. He's disqualifying himself because he's not doing yeah, the thing. Fit the mold. Doing anything. the bad stuff, not doing the good Join stuff. Join the club, buddy. <laughs> I had an opportunity to give him a different view of Christianity sure. that is based on what God has done for me yeah. in my place through his son Jesus Christ. And when we finished that conversation, that young man looked me in the eye and said, I feel like 100 pounds has been lifted wow. off my shoulder. So there's plenty of opportunities to talk about Christ, connect the dots between the resurrection of Christ and this life that we're trying to live and these things that we need to cope with. Lots of opportunities to connect those dots. Yeah, that's powerful. No, thanks for sharing that. It even brought to mind the verse, like, just be prepared at all times to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Yeah. Because yeah. in your role and just the way you're able to talk and interact with people, I'm in knowing you, I'm certain like they're feeling like you're giving them dignity and love. And I'm sure there's, it sounds like there's just times where it's like they see something in you that they don't have and they want to okay. know what it is. Okay. And I'm sure you're able to then kind of be like, yeah, this is, through through tactful questions and things like that. I mean, it's part of my story. I was a broken kid who knew I needed God. I knew I needed Christ. I knew I needed his word. I, I remember reading Proverbs as a young guy because my dad was not in my life. Mm. It's like, I'm foolish. Mm. Proverbs is written to help, pe- help foolish people become wise. <laughs> sure. I need to read this. Yeah. Uh, and I did, and I still do. And Psalms... I have a very complicated relationship with my feelings. And man, when you read the Psalms, they're going to help you get in touch with how you really feel, yeah. whether it's really good or really bad. So that's part of my own story. Yeah. So a lot of my ministry to people is, hey, you know, this has been helpful for me. And so as a Christian, here's a perspective on stuff. And God's word will make us resilient. It will, he will make us healthy, uh, you know, in Christ. And so it's maybe just helping connect some dots because people get such jaded notions about the Christian faith, sometimes justifiably. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in, you know, big tent Christianity. So uh, it, it, it is a, it's a wonderful opportunity to embody the caring culture that uh you know vermeer talks about thank you for yeah opening up on that and even just touching on like the health and like you said god's word can can help with our health Um, yeah and that is another one of the pillars that we focus on is holistic health so Mm. optimizing physical Mm. mental emotional health even spiritual health Man, we're all about that yeah so 
I want to kind of get into that with you. And one question I also love to ask guests is if you had a free 24 hours and you could do whatever you wanted, Mm. like what is John doing to Mm. recharge and even just like take care of yourself? Man, thanks for that. I I think I pretty much got that coming up tomorrow. I got a couple of days of PTO. So uh, I'm going to read my Bible. Uh, I'm currently reading a Bible for a granddaughter. I got eight grandkids. I, I read a Bible for each one of my four children and and then I realized, oh, I got eight grandkids, so I'm I'm in I'm on Bible number three, I guess, of eight. What do you mean when you say you read a Bible? So I I bought a Bible that's got big margins in it, and so uh, already I have read two of the two Bibles, one for my oldest granddaughter, one for my oldest grandson. So I read through there, put a bunch of notes in it. Oh wow! Highlight it with them in mind. I'm wow. reading it for me. With them in mind, so I write write their name, write notes to them. So I'm doing that with that's Bible amazing. number that, three. That's such an amazing gift to give a grandchild. We'll see. Might uh, have to steal that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have grandkids anytime soon, but I'm filing that one away. Man, when you read Scripture, there's a there's a vision for proclaiming the faith to your kids, so they can proclaim it to their kids and their kids. Blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah, on down the line. Uh, so I'm going to read my Bible. I'm currently reading a book about the impact of Christianity on Roman culture to help us connect dots with the impact of Christianity on our current culture. So I'd probably read that a little bit. Um, then uh, I'm going to exercise in some way. If I don't have a lot of time like today, I, I ran for probably 20 minutes, something like that. Um, tomorrow I'll have more time to either longer run or maybe even ride my bike. I don't know what the weather's going to be like. Yeah. So I would do that. Um, and then there'll be, and, and I'm kind of jamming stuff I do into this one day, but, and I don't, I don't have to drive to work tomorrow, but, uh, typically there's going to be a walk with my wife, which is a real lifesaver. <laughs> we'll walk for 45 minutes or so. And that walking again and talking, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, eating good food, which, uh, you know, my wife is a fantastic cook. So that, that would be part of that day. Um, I don't know. So th- those would be some core things. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a great day. Yeah. <laughs> If someone asks you, John, like what's one personal discipline? Because we talk about, you know, the idea of productive pause. So like resting, Mm. but that doesn't mean you're necessarily just lying on the couch. Like you touched on reading. You Mm. could be, you could even rest by going for a walk, but Mm. certainly things like prayer, meditation, journaling. You know, if someone asks you what's one personal discipline that they should adopt that would like elevate their overall health, like what would you recommend? Well, it it would, I don't want to dodge the question, but it would kind of depend on what they're dealing with. So I'd want to hear from them and, you know, then kind of give something that's, that's actually responsive to to them. But one time I was speaking and I got a big pickle jar. Okay. And I filled and the opening was, you know, like six inches wide at the top. And I got these fist size rocks Mm -hmm. and I put them in that jar. After you ate all the pickles. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's empty jar. Put those rocks in there. Fill the jar up with those fist-sized rocks. Okay. Can you get anything else in there? 
Well, yeah, you could probably put, you know, smaller rocks in Uh there. So you get these smaller rocks and put them in there. Can you get anything else in there? Well, yeah, you could probably pour some sand in there and shake it and pour some sand. Can you get anything else in there? Man, it doesn't look like it. Yeah, you could pour some water in there. Can you get anything else in there? I don't know. It looks pretty full now. (laughs) What's the moral of the story is put the big rocks in first. Because you can always put smaller stuff in there. Mm But you can't put more big rocks in there. So for me, the big rocks of mental, spiritual, relational, emotional health. Uh, I, I read a good book on all of this one time called The Power of Full Engagement. Okay. Uh, extremely great book. Very helpful. Uh, and it, it touched on all those different areas. But, you know, emotional intelligence has been a huge thing for me personally because sure. I grew up in a home that was uh, it's in some levels kind of emotionally dysfunctional. So for me to just be aware of what's happening in me and try to be responsible about managing that. And, and here's one little small example because I had such a problem with anger, it was so easy for me to manifest anger. As a matter of fact, at work, we have a picture of an iceberg and above the surface of the water, you know, you can see that ice. Yeah. And then, but below the surface, there's a big bunch of ice you can't see. Right. Uh, so the, the ice above the waterline, anger, that's what you can see. But there's all of this stuff fueling or driving yeah. that. So for me to learn, hey, Kathleen, I'm agitated. I'm taking a tone of voice or whatever. I'm really not mad at you. I'm kind of stressed out because I talked to two people today about really tough stuff, and that's still kind of up in my grill. Mm. Learning how to do that is is like giving her air. Yeah. Uh, then she's like, calm down. You know, it's not me mad at her, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's been very helpful to me. So that, that emotional intelligence bit, Mm uh, sitting with God, reading my Bible slowly, letting God speak to me is like super important to me this morning. I didn't because I had an early meeting, but yesterday morning I read Psalm 81 about the importance of listening to God. Hmm. And and then I read Matthew 17 about the importance of listening to Christ. <laughs> uh, so that, that's like a non-negotiable for me. Yeah. But not in a superficial, oh, I'm a good Christian because I read my Bible. Not like that, but but feeding on Christ. Yeah. Letting God, you know, renew my mind, which is what Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says. So that would be a big one. Doing something physical to break a sweat, yeah. to manage tension and just decompress. I, I ran this when I got home today. I was in a seminar all day long. My brain was fried. So, man, taking that run is like, oh, decompress, renovate. Yeah. yeah, decompress and renovate. So that was helpful. Um, having conversations with people, especially people that matter, that's a big deal. Praying with my wife before we go to sleep, mm. easy not to do, easy to put off. Oh, I'm too tired tonight. But but we have this little thing we read. At, you know, so reaching for that, 
given it. She reads a little bit. I read a little bit. We pray together mm. about all kinds of stuff. You know, that, that all, all that stuff kind of goes in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love the prayer at the end of, end of the night with the spouse. And yeah. I can see how that would be hard to stay consistent in, but just making sure that it's like, all right, if we missed yesterday, like we're not going to miss tonight. Right. Just, right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So as we kind of wrap up, um, the last kind of stuff I wanted to get into, I'm curious to learn is just kind of touching on our, our pillar of victorious vision. So the mm-hmm. idea of just, what is that compelling future that you're designing for your own life, but also for your marriage, for your family? Mm. You know, when we had you guys over for dinner a couple of weeks ago, um, I think we talked a little bit about the the family vision board that we yeah. have hanging in our, our uh, dining room. And so you were asking me some questions about it. And um, I think we just had a good conversation about the idea of like taking ownership over your life and being intentional to determine the direction you're heading. Of course, submitting that to the Lord mm-hmm. in prayer and knowing like many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's will prevails. But I'd love to hear from you just kind of how you've approached this idea of like casting vision mm-hmm. in your personal life as well as in marriage and family at large. Like why do you why do you think it's important to take a proactive approach as opposed to just kind of seeing where the cards may fall? That's a great question. And some of it, I'm not great at Ryan. Like I was inspired by your vision board and particularly your word of abundance. Mm. Um, because in some ways, you know, I think Kathleen and I are kind of playing catch up financially for a lot of years where I was kind of naive and just didn't make much money. And I am, I have not been great at and neither has Kathleen. We did not grow up in homes with parents who were like, Hey, you can figure out what you want to do. Mm. You can pursue that. Uh, I had some encouragement in that, but, but not a ton. So that's probably, that's been a growing edge for us. Now, having said that in the grace of God, we are extremely fulfilled and engaged in life right now. I'm 67. I'm still working full time. Um, I love what I'm doing. I'm good at it. It's very fulfilling. So there comes a point in a guy's life, by the grace of God, where you're doing something that you love and you're doing it with a sense of, I don't know, fulfillment or purpose or something. Mm -hmm. It's not, you you know, you just, you just want to, get that uh, alignment with your gifts and your passion and your experience. And, and ideally you're living a life that taps into that on a regular basis. I am extremely happily married. I have good open relationships with my kids. They, you know, we enjoy being together but at 67, I talk to people every day. I hear stories every week of people who were dying and really sick and got bad diagnoses. Mm-hmm. So I'm very aware of the, mor- the mortality and the brevity of life. Mm-hmm. So when I have an opportunity, like a daughter uh, said, hey, why don't we rent an Airbnb on a lake in Minnesota? I'm like, man, I'm all over yeah. that. And I tell you what, more than that, I want to pay so much of it that y'all are going that, that the two other, you know, 
kids who were there and going to kick in were like, oh, wow, that's awesome. So many people have done kind things like that mm. for me and, and for Kathleen. So, man, we're, we're all in when it comes to, oh, you, there's something we can do for a child or a grandchild. There's something we can do at church, like we brought this marriage ministry to our church. We're, we're very engaged in our family which includes my dad, who's still living, just turned 92. Oh, wow. Our, our respective jobs, we're engaged in that. We're very engaged in our local church. We praise God for the level of physical health that we have. We're mindful that that's a gift that needs to be stewarded. Kathleen works out on a regular basis, as do I. So I don't know if I'm... But no, I am are, saying, yeah. man... I'm not one of these guys like create your destiny and all that stuff. I, I, I could do, I've could have done things differently, you know, I, and 67, you can look back and say, man, I could, I could have done that better. Yeah. Really. Um, but I, I thank God for his goodness for, for where we are in Des Moines, Iowa. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Kathleen grew up in Miami, Florida. <laughs> what the heck are we doing in Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa? But God's got a plan. Yeah. And uh, we feel like we're we're aligned with that. Yeah. So. Yeah, just from all of that that you shared resonates. And it's like you, you can't put a price on a Thursday night family dinner with your kids and grandkids. Just... Man, there's a lot we could say about that yeah. because, you know, it's easy to think that, oh, everybody's got these perfect families and all that. And, and uh, hopefully a lot of families are a lot healthier than ours is, uh, but not everybody's is. Yeah. And those relationships, particularly at work, I, I see it all the time. I talk about that stuff all the time. Our relationships with our immediate and our extended families, primary arena for living hard in the grace of Christ. Uh, that's where our faith really meets the road mm. because bad stuff happens. Foolish things happens. Forgiveness needs to take place. And, uh, you know, and I, we, we've had some challenging things, mm -hmm. but, but ultimately, you know, God's word gives us a lot of instruction about what to do when uh, things get off track. Yeah. So we're really grateful for that. Really yeah. kind of, I don't know, passionate about about that kind of stuff, personal relationships. Yeah. Big deal. Me too. So on this topic, and this is really the last question I have for you tonight, let's say we jumped ahead 15 or so years. Say, picture yourself kind of celebrating Christmas with your family around mm -hmm. big dinner table or whatever that scene looks like. Yeah. And you're looking around, you see Kathleen, your kids, Likely more grandkids at that point. Maybe some some great grandkids. Do you have great yeah. grand grandkids? No greats. All right. No greats. Well, maybe at that point. But what would you say? Like you hope that you and and your wife will be celebrating just in the life of the Otley family. Well, there's the obvious things. You know, uh, physical health, uh, reasonably reasonably independent kids and grandkids that are learning how to be responsible people on their own man you know people have lots of challenges and 
lots of challenges, addictions and all kinds of brokenness and dysfunction, stuff like that. So to have reasonably healthy kids would be a real blessing Mm -hmm. Uh, who were in, you know, stable, solid marriages that that would be a big deal that we would praise God for. That, that's our big prayer, Ryan, is that, you know, and, you know, that's God's work. We cannot do that. Right. Yeah. We cannot, we are not responsible for the outcomes and the choices of our kids. We'll try to be clear about that. Uh, but, but hopefully we would celebrate his grace in our lives that enables us to be consistent in our love for him in our the the way we react to our culture uh in christ that hopefully is sane and uh you know refreshing and not like causing our kids and grandkids to roll their eyes and shake their heads and yeah no thanks i don't think i want to go over there mm-hmm. that that's the kind of stuff that we we just want to follow close to christ and kind of leave everything else with him there you go (laughs) that's no that's a great vision as we wrap up final thoughts or questions that you'd like to leave with listeners before we sign off well um we are living in an era of a lot of change but god never changes he's the same yesterday today and forever and his word is super relevant and the teachings of christ uh, and Christ himself in his person and his work uh, is available and accessible. And he said he was the way and the truth and the life. So if you want to know the way and you want to be able to rely on the truth and experience the life, mm-hmm. that's in Jesus. Amen. So knowing him, recognizing that he's available that's that's the bottom line i think yeah that's well said nothing to add to that no i've really enjoyed our conversation want to thank you john for coming on um this has been great so yeah you've been listening to the uncommon podcast i've been your host ryan saying god bless we'll see you on the next one thank you for listening to the uncommon podcast if you have benefited from our show i would ask you to follow rate and review and share our show And be sure to check out our website at theuncommon.com where you can learn more about our mission, sign up for one of our live experiences, and take advantage of many resources that will empower you on your uncommon journey.